by book and chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 61. It was really cool looking at Isaiah chapter 60 last time. I mean, just what a beautiful chapter. Um, it's a chapter that we are saying, you know, it's the chapter that's traditionally read every year on Epiphany. So, you know, a lot of good uh, Christmas stuff in this part of Isaiah. And today is no exception. Today in Isaiah chapter 61, this is this includes two readings that are traditionally heard around Christmas time. This one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's something that you traditionally hear the last, uh, the third Sunday of Advent, right before Christmas. Um, and then later on also you've got another, uh, around verse 10, I believe, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God. That's another reading that is traditionally read on the Sunday after Christmas Day. So lots of lots of good Christmas stuff. Um, but again, why? You know, this is dealing with uh, you know the people in Judah after the exile. What, what's the connection? Well, we'll we'll talk about that today. And excited to have uh, joining us again. We've got Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. Good morning, welcome, brother. How are you doing? Good morning, sir. I am well. I'm colder than I prefer, but that's that's the uh, <laughs> the outcome of sin in the world. I'm quite sure that God created it not this cold, but then sin came and uh, disrupted. But when Christ comes back, that'll all be fixed. So I'll Col- be patient. Col- yeah, cold cold weather and mosquitoes too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I found out something interesting this week uh, on a radio show I was listening to about some science investigation, they discovered that in one particular region, they'd done an investigation of pollination of of plants, fruits, nuts, various vegetables, and discovered that about 12% of the plants in that study were actually pollinated by mosquitoes. Oh, what? I had not known that God used mosquitoes for pollination, but that explains lots of things, so... Wow, that's that is enlightening. That is enlightening. I mean, and you know, of course, it just what a testimony that God clearly works good out of evil because that's what those little things are. So, uh, wow, you know, praise be to God then. So, thank you, (laughs) thank you, Pastor Tice, uh, for that for that insight. But yeah, so today, uh, it's Isaiah chapter sixty-one. It's a great part of Isaiah to be looking at all these connections to Christmas uh, in this chapter and the chapters around it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, with some uh, really. Really interesting things here as we flow through this section you mentioned earlier. This is primarily aimed at the the Babylonian captivity period of history for those who are not in in Judah, not at Jerusalem, when they would receive this message, although certainly he penned it before that. But the right. the flow through, you know, the four kings that he served under Uzziah, Amaz, Ahaz, and then of course Hezekiah, this theme of of repentance and faith, and then God's faithfulness, so strongly illustrated here in chapter 61, the faithfulness of God, and then the the idea that we, we have a God who is present among his people, this strong focus of the God who's going to bring a blessing. And the imagery in chapter 61 is just marvelous, picked up elsewhere, especially in the New Testament as well. We'll talk about that in a little bit when we get there. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, God is coming with a blessing. We saw that in in chapter 60, you know, the, the rise and shine chapter and how you know, it's anticipating this this something something good is coming, and, and certainly it's it's a it's an amazing vision. It's a vision that gets echoed in Revelation. You know, this whole thing about instead of bronze, gold; instead of iron, silver; instead of wood, bronze; instead of stones, iron. 
instead of the sun and the moon, the the light of the Lord. So, um, you know, definitely all that stuff going on in chapter 60. So in that way, it does, it does seem to just kind of continue, um, and almost be like an elaboration on what we saw in the previous chapter, right? Absolutely. It it expands on that thought. And as you mentioned, the, the imagery that, that shows up again in, in the revelation, and the idea that uh, the sun shall no longer be bringing light and it won't go down because there'll be no night, those images are repeated as we get to Revelation, which means that the promises here in, in Isaiah are also meant beyond the Babylonian captivity and return to the land right. of Israel. They're meant for the, the whole people of God, the, the Israel that is not of the, the flesh but of the spirit. Exactly. So there'll definitely be some connections uh, for us to look at, especially as we look at how the New Testament, as you were saying, picks this up in a couple different ways. So, Mm -hmm. well, without any further ado, would you start us off with a prayer for us and for everyone listening, and then we'll get started reading. Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, gracious God, we give thanks to you that you have indeed provided for us the good news of a Savior. We remember that you made a promise that out of the root of Jesse would come one who would stand as a signal, a sign, an ensign for all the peoples, not just one nation, but the whole world, and that to this one all kings will bow. This is the one whom the nations will honor. We ask, Lord, that you would come quickly now to those in need, wherever they might be, those who are sick, those who are under persecution, those in danger because of any physical or spiritual problem they face. Turn away the attacks of Satan. Send your holy angels. Come quickly to deliver us, O Lord, as you have promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, let's get started with the first four verses, then, of Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So uh, just a lot of a lot of stuff going on there, like you were saying, just a lot of exuberance here. That verse mm-hmm. 4 that we just read at the end... Uh, seems to fit very well in the in the local context that Isaiah has kind of more immediately got in mind. Compliments right. what we saw last time in chapter sixty, verse ten: "Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you." So, th- this proclamation of the the rebuilding of of Jerusalem. But I mean, also it says there they shall repair the ruined cities. So, mm-hmm. uh, of Judah, of Judah in general. So on the one hand, seems to like really fit that situation. But then, of course, those first couple of verses are what the Lord Jesus read one day in the synagogue in Nazareth and said it's uh, something that applied to himself that very day. 
Yes, his, his response when he read these words was, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And the right. Spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, is upon me because he's anointed me. It's not, I decided to do this. It, it, the message Jesus gives in Nazareth that, that Isaiah is pointing out here is that God is the one who has set him this task. It's not a self-appointed uh, worker. It's not someone who is is claiming his own authority. He's coming as a servant, which, of course, is the theme that in Isaiah repeats again and again, the, the servant of the Lord. And in uh, chapter 53, when you went through that, you talked about that suffering servant here. This is a right. servant who is not so much presented as suffering as he is the one who is bringing relief, this good news to the poor, the binding up of the brokenhearted. And I was remembering just uh, recently we read from Matthew 11, this, uh-huh. this promise of the good news to the poor when the disciples of John came and asked right. this message, what is it we should tell? And, and Jesus says, tell what you see and hear. He lists all the miracles, but the last thing he lists is the poor have the good news preached to them. It's right. Almost, as is, the epitome is the gospel proclamation. Yeah, right. Well, you know, that was, uh, I know when I when I opened this up and I'm like, oh, it's this text, because I was just looking at this when I was when I was preaching on the Matthew text uh, this last week, because, right, it seems like our Lord's answer to John the Baptist seems to combine a few different prophecies from Isaiah, and they're all ones now that we've actually seen. Um, there's the mention of lepers, which seems mm-hmm. to be a, a description of the the sick body that's described in Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, yeah. You have the raising from the dead, which is actually something that's mentioned. We saw that way back in Isaiah chapter 26. But then primarily what, what the Lord's response uh, seems to be based on is Isaiah 35, that we also uh, saw just recently in church in the lectionary, you know, the the opening of the the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and so on. But then, as you were saying, you know, this here in Isaiah chapter 61 is part of his answer to bring good news to the poor. And it's uh, very ironic, of course, that our Lord stops right there in his response, right? Because if he were only to go just, you know, (laughs) a couple more lines on this verse, it would say, you know, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, which is, of course, not what John the Baptist got. John John was not receiving a physical release, but like you and me, we who are captives to sin, bound by Satan's attacks on us, and, and at times even bound by our own conscience, the Lord is going to set us free. And so John doesn't get a promise, you'll get out of prison, no monopoly, you know, get out of jail free card. <laughs> right. But a far better promise that he is forever with the Lord, and I think, going back to Isaiah chapter 7, actually, the Lord is always with him. Um, this, this clear statement, Emmanuel, God with us, and, and the, the reminder that, that the Lord is the one who is with us. We may draw near to him, but first he came to us. The Lord shall appear suddenly in his temple is one of those phrases we come across that reminds us that, that Jesus comes to his people. Right. The other thing that that uh, picked up here, the word proclaim. Yeah. Liberty, this is this is the work of a herald. This is one who is coming and saying the liberty is here. Not I'm going to I'm going to create it. It's already yours. 
And mm. this is what we tend to at times call the, the activity of God, where when he says something, his words actually do the work, performance speech, to grant or to give liberty to the, the captives. He's giving what he has promised to send. And uh, I'm reminded of what Isaiah 11 says about the power that he will use to do his work. And it's not the sword, and it's not the army. It's the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips that will do the work. And so this proclaiming, the announcing it out loud, is a continuation of that theme that the one who rules from David's throne, the one who comes from the house of David, is actually powered by his words, not by military force or political might or financial resources. It's actually word and spirit that do the work. Yeah, well, yes, and and that's and that actually. I mean, you, you bring up a lot of really good points right there about you know the proclamation. Certainly, I mean, so going a step backwards. So, like what we were saying, you know, about John the Baptist, right? I mean, John the Baptist and we ourselves, you know, we, we are what we receive is a spiritual liberty, right, from our spiritual captivity, our spiritual prison, um, and and of course, the Lord when He makes this application of this chapter to Himself, right? I mean, it's not really a, a day of vengeance, right? There, and you know, AD thirty, um, mm-hmm. you know, there there is a day of vengeance about forty years later when the when the temple is destroyed, right? Um, but when 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 our Lord applies this to Himself, I mean, it definitely takes on like a spiritual kind of fulfillment, at least in His first coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, you know, in, in the second coming, I mean, it will be like a like a real, literal, physical. Uh, proclamation of liberty to the captives, you know, like everywhere on earth where the church is persecuted, that persecution will end that day. Everyone who's been locked up for the faith is actually going to get out of prison and actually going to get out of jail. Um, There will actually be like a physical day of vengeance as the kingdoms of the earth are judged and as there is only uh, one king remaining then on that day. So, I mean, it's going to happen, but there, there is this, as you were saying, this spiritual fulfillment in the Lord's first coming that, that is a little bit surprising. And of course, that's why John the Baptist was asking, you know, hang on a second. Are you the one who was to come or uh, are we supposed to be looking for somebody else? Because the fulfillment uh, wasn't quite what he was expecting, right? Yeah, the, the real challenge for most of the disciples of Jesus was reflected even in, in Acts chapter 1 when they asked after his resurrection, will you at this time restore the kingdom? The right. perception that it would be physical, that it would be, um, again, the term I used earlier, military and financial and, and an economic research. Yeah. That's not at all what he's bringing. And, you know, as we look at the, at the words that show up here, especially in, in verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He's using description that's applied in one place in, in the Scripture for the priests of God, and we'll get to that a little bit further on. And the other one is for a wedding garment. And this whole right. idea that there's a celebration of, of the relationship that's going to take place. And, and keeping in mind that the, the primary function of the priest was to bring the people the news about God's relationship with them through the sacrifice for sin and through the cleansing that took place and the sprinkling of the blood. 
and the thank offerings that were carried to God's people's place of worship, all of those things were about the relationship that God gave, which, as Isaiah pointed out earlier, the people were failing to carry out. They weren't actually doing the work. They may have been coming with the words, but the activity of the heart wasn't there. And so now what we're being told is the activity that's on the outside will be in response to the good news that comes first, as opposed to an outward show that's lacking the internal uh, reality. Now it's the internal reality that's going to lead to the outward showing. Right. Well, yes, right. And and that's um, certainly a theme as you're connecting it to priesthood, you know, that, that we get when we talk about what does it mean that we are, you know, a, a priesthood uh, of believers, right? And like how that functions. And, you know, right. it, it's an internal spiritual change um, in us as then we administer then to the rest of the world. I, I want to connect that idea, though, of priesthood to a couple different things here, because you're right, there's a lot of connections in these first few verses, and Mm -hmm. we kind of skip over it really fast. You're right, there's some imagery that is suggestive of of either the priesthood or of um, or, or of a groom getting ready for a wedding, and actually both of those things are mentioned explicitly later. But in, in the first place, you know, it's interesting to consider the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And we skip right over that because it's like, okay, that sounds like something good and spiritual, mm-hmm. and yeah, the messenger, yeah, that sounds good. He's anointed, okay. But we, we shouldn't be so fast to skip over that because to say that the Lord has anointed me or like I'm the Lord's anointed one, I mean, those are, <laughs> that, that's quite a statement. That, that's saying a lot. And not everyone just gets anointed by God. And this is going back to what you were saying that, you know, I mean, this, this recalls like uh, Hebrews chapter five, right? Where it says that like no priest chooses himself. He's chosen by God. So uh, typically in the Old Testament, the only people who get anointed like uh, especially like anointed like by God in, in this sort of sense would be the kings of Israel. I mean, who are called the anointed ones, the messiahs, right? Uh-huh. Um, or uh, the priests, uh, and particularly like the high priest, right? Like the high priest would would yeah, be uh, called the, the, the anointed everyone priest. Everyone knew he was in that role. Right, exactly, right. So Aaron and his sons were called like the anointed priests, right? But like, he, he, but yeah, so priests and kings. There was, may, there's maybe like one instance, like in First Kings somewhere, of like description of a prophet being anointed, but typically... Uh, not so much. So, so mm-hmm. for 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 this for the speaker then to be saying, you know, I am anointed by God is is a very powerful thing because it's very suggestive of saying, I am like the priest or like I am even like the king. You know, I mean, this is this is not even um, you know just like any prophet would necessarily talk this way. This this if a prophet's speaking this way. It would be in a very exalted sense of their own mm-hmm. calling and their and their own appointment by God. I mean, like, and so, I mean, I guess it's the two things are thinking about, like, of course, you know, wow, like when Jesus, our Lord, says this applies to me myself today, yes. just what kind of mantle is he taking up? And then also even back in the situation of uh, post-Babylon Judah, I mean, what a thing for the people to be hearing when there is a time when there there is no high priest and there is is no king. Um, mm-hmm. For them, for them to hear these words. Yeah, this this position of the Lord's anointed, and and we we say that you know English word anointed, and recognize that of course the the Greek word there is Christos, Christ, 
and right. the Hebrew word is Mashiach, or we would say Messiah. So right. that as we look at the the term, it's actually a claim that, as you point out, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am this anointed one for whom the people are waiting. Um, you know, the, the thing that I picked up over the years is an expression of almost um, what I would call of fatal fatalistic uh, denial that's used in some communities today when they use the term when messiah comes what they're really Mm. saying is it'll never happen oh sure and what jesus is saying is when he uses these words not it'll never happen but now it is happening this is the acceptable day of the lord this is the day when god says to you i am among you and of course the other thing that popped into my mind as I was reading through Isaiah's couple of places where it talks about he'll clear his threshing floor, a winnowing fork is in his hand, and he goes to the temple and he's doing these things. This is all where the after he's announced he is the anointed of the Lord. And so I uh, shared this with folks in church yesterday. Our problem is we already know the content of Scripture, so we see the whole picture and we right. tend to forget that there were those who didn't already know what we know, so they can't march together in the same way. The Holy Spirit guides us to see these things over the years. But Jesus did know that he was the one coming to do this work. And as he's doing this work, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and comforting all who mourn, those who mourn in Zion, I'm reminded also that when they returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, those who could remember Solomon's temple wept. Right. And and the, the message is, even when you see that this new temple isn't as good as the old temple, the God who appears to his people at this temple is still the same God. Don't trust the building, trust the builder. Right. Yeah, no, and, and I think that it really, well, of course, it points to like that, that there's unfinished business the first time this, this prophecy gets fulfilled, right? Absolutely. And, and there's obviously then this is like what raises the connection then to our Lord Jesus's ministry. And I like I like the way you're putting it, though, that, you know, we we sometimes just kind of take it or rather we often probably take it for granted. Like, oh, yes, of course. And like we're looking back on all this with the hindsight of like 2000 years of church history. Um, yep. You know, I mean, after the Lord's coming anyway. And, and so, you know, for us, like we just kind of breeze through some of this stuff. But as you were saying, if we kind of put ourselves in their shoes, as they were kind of piecing this together for the first time, I mean, this was a really big deal, you know, to imagine, I mean, as you said, Isaiah lived a long time before this first fulfillment, so it wouldn't have been Isaiah himself who was right. speaking these words to uh, those survivors there in, in Judah. It would mm-hmm. have had to be some other prophet who's taking up the mantle, so to speak. But just to think about it, I mean, like when, when this other prophet, you know, like who's speaking, you know, f- for Isaiah, he's speaking in Isaiah's voice. He's not just speaking in Isaiah's voice, you know. I mean, he's cause he's saying, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is language of like, you know, I'm the high priest or I, I'm the king. Like, I mean, this is just this is just something that would have been totally unexpected because after the Babylonians came through, there was no temple, there was no palace. There was no king anymore. The line of kings had come to an end, so it right. seemed. There were no high priests. Like, they weren't allowed to. 
Um, I mean, it would it would have been seen as, um, you know, like insurrection or something like that. And so, I mean, really, really bold words for for this prophet to be going and, and speaking all of this. And of course, when we appreciate that, that helps us to see what it was like for Jesus, because for Jesus to say these words also in the context of the Roman occupation, very, very bold. Uh, we have to go into our break, but I want to talk a little bit more about this before we press on when we get back. But everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 61 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. The next, Joy, remember when you were a kid and couldn't wait to open the presents under the tree? Well, I'm that kid, and the presents are the classic carols of Christmas. We have permission to unwrap them now. This is Ron Clem. Gather round this week for Joy. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at 1 p.m. on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 61 today, one of these beautiful chapters associated with Advent and Christmas time. And as we were just seeing, words that our Lord himself speaks of himself there, they get quoted in Luke chapter 4. Today we're joined by Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. I want to make sure to invite all of our live listeners. If you have any questions or comments, we just got some via email that we're going to turn to in just a minute here. Please do call in 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, as always, I want to make sure to give a shout-out to our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out and their great work of spreading the gospel all over the world at lhfmissions.org. So... Yes, we were just looking at this, you know, really going back to verse one, because there's this language of of a prophetic office, of a priestly office, Mm -hmm. you know, like what exactly is the office? And it seems like by by saying anointed me, it's like claiming a lot more. And so for Jesus in the Roman occupation, you know, where 
you know, they had gotten rid of, you know, the, the, the people of Judah had reestablished a, a kingdom, right, in the, in the Maccabean period, the Hasmonean right. dynasty, right? And so there was, there was a king for, like, a little while anyway, and the Romans came through and said, no, none of that, no more, no more having a king. Um, and, and then the, the thing that happened, which was very strange, um, I mean, this wasn't even just with the Romans, but with the, the Greeks before them, uh, but it was, it was, well, you can have a high priest— but it's got to be one that that we pick that we're okay right. with, mm-hmm. right? And, and so this this is this is of course what sets up the drama then with our Lord Jesus and and Caiaphas because the high priest is is sort of the puppet of whoever the overlords are, whether that's the the Greeks or the Romans. And so for Jesus to be saying, you know, the Lord's anointed me when there is a high priest, it's the one that the Romans are okay with. Um, yeah. There is no king. Well, except for the the puppet king Herod that the Romans installed, I mean, it's like it's like a direct challenge to to Roman authority because, like, well, but the Romans anointed right a king and a priest, but here you here you're saying that God has appointed you, anointed you. So, I mean, a, a very bold statement, really, that we what we fail to appreciate the 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 audacity of. Yes, and this is this is again the key that. That the spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus, God has done the anointing, and later when they arrest him, you remember the high priest, back into this intrigue and confusion, levels the charge. He makes himself a king. Yeah, that um, would that would qualify as rebellion, which would lead to the Romans then to enact a, a charge against him. And by the way, they posted on his cross, "This is the right. king." Exactly. <laughs> the government exactly. says this is the one. Um, mm-hmm. And it, in this this understanding, then that the, the the Lord is appointing him to do something, not just to be something, but to do something, and it's the bringing good news, binding up the brokenhearted. God sent him. The Lord did not ignore his people, but he anointed one and then sent that one to his people, so that we might know, in the midst of our brokenness, that he will bind us up. And, and this, you know, this statement in the the smoking flax he will not extinguish, and the broken reed he will not break right. off or snap mm-hmm. off. He'll bind it up. These thoughts are are in different ways repeated elsewhere, as we look at God sending to His people the year of the Lord's favor. Right, right. Yeah. A very very different kind of of kingship. One that is uh, not not based on force, but based mm-hmm. on grace and, and and right i mean it goes back to i mean you know talking about our lord's like arrest and, and then his trial you know just i, I mean the, the way he talks to Pilate, right like you know yeah. if my kingdom were of this world then my followers would have stopped all this right like it's you, yeah. you're getting it's it's not it's not like that it's not what you suppose like I, i'm the king uh but this isn't insurrection like you suspect it is you know i mean it's uh, yeah. yeah no no mm-hmm. of course um I, I want to turn here to some questions we just received. Uh, they're they're from our friend James and his group there in St. Louis. I, I must right. confess, these questions I got. I'm looking at them here. They they look pretty advanced and like they're a part of a larger conversation that um, that I have not been a part of. So <laughs> I'm not sure I get the context of of some of these questions. Um, so I apologize for that, but. Uh, one thing I'm noticing here, the kind of the, the theme of the questions it looks like this morning are about ecumenism. 
Um, and, and a little bit of this idea of, you know, I mean, we, we've had a variety of different interpretations of scriptures um, in the 2,000 years of uh, church history since the mm -hmm. coming of our Lord Jesus. And, you know, we, we've, we've, of course, had, um, you know, in, in recent years especially, more of a, a push to, 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 to band together, especially in our, in our post-modern context where uh, increasingly the, 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 the basic truths that we've kind of all taken for granted um, are being questioned. And, and so, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of work today. And I mean, just right before the, the, the broadcast today, right, uh, you, you were hearing Kip Allen do the, the news digest, right? Um, I mean, like there's been a lot of work together on like legal fronts in our country, right. like with like, mm -hmm. for instance, like the Catholic church, because like we find ourselves in similar uh, tough spots. And so I, I guess the question, like looking at these, these four questions we received our email, um, I, I guess kind of broadly, you know, do, do these verses here, these first four verses of Isaiah that we've just looked at uh, speak at all to this question of ecumenism and, and this kind of idea of, you know, is is there perhaps in this talking of like building up the ancient ruins? I mean, does that say something to our situation of of building back up the church, um, which has been in some ways uh, splintered apart over the centuries? Uh, what do you think, Pastor Tice? Well, I think I think it can in this understanding that what we are dealing with is being unified for the sake of the truth, not joining for the sake of unity on the outward appearance. The, the two phrases that, that popped out as me as I was listening to that is the phrase oaks of righteousness and planting yeah. of the Lord, because the people of Israel had used the oaks that were in their communities for idolatry. Yeah. And, and Isaiah condemns them. In fact, he literally says, how bright are you folks? You go out and cut down a tree, half of it you use shape and form and make into an idol right. that you can't do a thing for you, and the rest of you take home and cook your supper with. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yep, um, yep. This whole idea that this new planting, these oaks will be of righteousness. And to be righteous, then, they have to be plantings of the Lord, not human design to create something that looks good. And and I think that ongoing challenge is to recognize, yes, the Holy Spirit can and will bring a unity. And, and I, I see this regularly with individuals who've been raised in different denominations. And when you sit down and talk, they confess the biblical truth even when upon occasion the church they were raised in, the denomination from which they came, doesn't really teach that. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit still leads people to the truth. And I think that's really the key, is to remember that God does the guiding and, and building of unity, not the external activity of human beings. But we need to avoid unnecessary divisions based on our pride or our um, resistance to hearing what another person says. But we never sacrifice the truth of God's word just to have outward unity. That's happened again and again in the history of the right. Christian Church, and partly as, as I would say, it's led to some of the ruin and destruction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I totally agree. And I think that, I, I think that in many ways, I, I think that ecumenism will happen, and there will be a rebuilding of the church in the right way when mm -hmm. we rightly understand the pastoral office as. As, as instituted by God and anointed, uh, so to speak, by God. I, I, going back to like that verse one, I, I think that uh, unfortunately there's a lot of confusion over what the pastoral office is. Uh, you on on one side, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, just kind of throw anybody under the bus or mischaracterize or set up a uh, scare, like a straw man here, but mm-hmm. to, to kind of just for the sake of time and, and, uh, you know, not everyone's as familiar with these things as everybody else. On one side of the spectrum, there's kind of this idea that there's almost like this kind of like succession where it's like, well, like, you know, you're in and then we'll lay hands on you, then we'll lay hands on you. And it's like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's sort of like, you know, you just have to be like the next in line. And that's what makes you like a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's this idea of like, well, anybody who like kind of like feels like a burning in the bosom, like can be a pastor, right? Like anybody, and like you don't even have to go to a seminary or like, you know, read the original languages of scripture. I mean, you just, if you feel like you're being called, then you go for it, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's... And, and, and both of these views, I feel like, uh, both of these views, I, I feel like in, in different ways, rest, try, try, try to wrest the, the prophetic office away from God, that, that we either say, well, no, it's like we have a monopoly on it, and it's going to happen the way that we choose, and it's only in this particular structure, and it's like we are the ones who are the ones who are the arbiters of who's in and who's out on the one hand. And on the other hand, I mean, like the bar is so low. I mean, like just how, how many reports are we seeing of like, I just I just read something like last week or something about like just um, youth pastors and like the, mm. just a devastating report about all the, the reports of abuse that have been going on with youth pastors and that unfortunately in, in many uh, Protestant denominations in the U.S., there's basically like no qualifications for being a youth minister. Like anybody who seems to be okay with kids or anybody kind of who's relatively young who wants to be a minister, it's like, oh, let's make you the youth minister, boom. And then we've had all kinds of problems. And of course, there's all kinds of problems with abuse then even on the other side of, sure. uh, you know, how, how to how to deal with the apostolic um, office, right? So I, I think that when the church comes around to saying, you know what, uh, the pastoral office is something special, it, um, but it isn't something that, you know, one institution has a monopoly on. It is appointed by God, and that even in these postmodern times of everybody looks up everything on their smartphones, and we don't want to trust institutions, and we don't want to trust experts, that actually there are certain men who have been appointed to speak for God. I think that when the ecumenical movement can focus on that and focus on the, the preaching of the gospel from this office— I think mm-hmm. that you're going to see some real rebuilding done then. And I, I think the, a key part of that is the proper training to be able to handle the Word of God. Um, it's not a toy to play with, and you and I are not appointed to make it say something. It says something. We are to be equipped and appointed by the Church to find what it says to then share it, as opposed to find something we like and share it, what does it really teach? And that's, you know, this is uh, some of the professors and and, uh, folks that I went to school with over the years had this primary focus. What does the text say? If it doesn't say what you want to say, you can't say that. Right. And and see, that's that's the problem. If you're not, if if you've not been equipped to work with the Word, and it's, it's a matter of training. It's a matter of understanding. There's a language difference there from English to Greek or Hebrew. And sometimes it's it's really a matter of, of getting input from five or six other people who have been trained in the same way. Right. So that one is not doing this alone, but in the office one speaks with authority. And this is what comes back to the Lord has appointed me. I've never appointed myself. Congregations have asked me to do these works 
in their name based on the training and, and equipping that have been given to me. And right. as I continually tell folks, this is not my my doing. This is God's gift. God's at work here. That, that, that's right. It, it's always Jesus who is the one who is in control and in charge in a church. It doesn't matter if you know, the church, like, votes on things because that's kind of our, like, polity for, you know, like, uh, NGOs in the United States or or if, you know, we, we did something by lot or whatever. Um, I mean, it's at the end of the day, the church is a monarchy and it's Jesus who is the anointed one, right? Mm-hmm. And and so yeah. it's, it's so important to, to see all authority coming from him um, and to really, you know, even in this age of everyone is like their own, their own doctor and lawyer and <laughs> everything else because of, hey we all just look it up online right like mm-hmm. like like looking to the authority of Jesus and humbling ourselves enough to say like I'm not the one who gets to call the shots if the Bible doesn't say that then I can't say that so right. yeah. certainly certainly a lot a lot there um, that we could easily spend the next week talking about but uh, thank you James and your group for for the questions uh, definitely some really good food for thought today I hope that that spoke to what you guys were talking about at least a little bit um, let's go ahead and pick up reading though I want to make sure that we stay on pace let's go through verse 9 and and then we'll pause before the last little section and we can uh, talk about that at the very end mm-hmm. so we read the first four verses last one was talking about building up the ancient ruins so here's verse five, verse 5 then Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy." For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So, uh, very... um, I don't know, a cosmopolitan, perhaps, kind of like outlook. I mean, we're looking mm-hmm. at like all the rest of the world here, you know, and this and this this goes back to what we saw in chapter 60 that, you know, here in 61, it says strangers and foreigners are going to be tending your flocks and your mm-hmm. vineyards. Uh, back in chapter 10, the language that we had, I'm sorry, verse, verse 10 of chapter 60, it said, you know, their kings shall minister to you, foreigners shall build up your walls. So it, it seems like in that local context, we're talking about how when Cyrus came in, you know, he was like, hey, you Babylonians, you know, yeah, you guys who were oppressing uh, uh-huh. the Israelites before, hey, you, you carry this stuff for them. Hey, you go back with them. Hey, you help them rebuild, right? Right. Um, and, and when the protest I mean, comes the, in, he says, yes, uh, the, the yeah. rule is everybody pays taxes for the purpose of rebuilding that city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And the whole, I mean, that's right. The tax money, right, from the, the Persian royal treasury, you know, money that was collected from all over the world, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> was was being sent over to Judah. I mean, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, it literally happened. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even even though you can see how there's this fulfillment there, I mean, the, the language of, you know, therefore in their land they shall possess a double portion, they shall have everlasting joy, you know, yeah. I mean, like it's, uh, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. 
that that everlasting language of permanence i mean seems really short-lived when it's like you know the greeks are going to come through and uh wipe out a lot of this stuff pretty quickly and and as you look at it it, it's a description that they shall come and build up and plant instead of tear down it's the exact contrast to the oppression and attacks that came before by the the syrians the Assyrians, the babylonians god's going to bring for lack of a better label, he's going to bring peace in place of war. He's going yeah. to bring growth instead of destruction. He's going to provide this time of bounty. And and the phrase, two phrases that jumped out at me, of course, is priests of the Lord. This is the ones who are now going to serve God as those who bring him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Right. Use that phrase frequently in our liturgy. But also, they now, instead of being dishonored, they have a double portion, which means they're treated as firstborn. And this being treated as the firstborn, the one who gets the double portion, all of that is possible because Christ Jesus came, who is the firstborn, firstborn of Mary, only begotten Son of the Father, firstborn from the dead, so that now this everlasting covenant can be enacted. And, and now those who were not the firstborn are treated as if they were. Right. Yeah, that, and that, that's very helpful. I mean, because, of course, the whole idea behind giving the firstborn that double portion, right, was, was because yeah. this, was, this was a way that a family would kind of continue their legacy, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you split up everything evenly among, like, your, you know, like, 8 to 12 children, right, which would have not been that uncommon in ancient times, right? Like, uh, like it, would, it, it would be very easy for... Um, the family's like uh, heritage, right? Like their their inheritance, their land to just get split up in so many different directions that uh-huh. they end up scattering, right? Yeah. Um, but so so you so you you give half to the firstborn, right? Um, because it's not like it's like for them personally, but like the the firstborn is kind of really just continuing on what mom and dad were doing. I mean, like really, they have this kind of responsibility fall on their shoulders. So. Um, yeah, cer- certainly this, this is this language of, you know, reestablishing Israel's identity as, as the firstborn. That's the language that's used but way back in Exodus, right? You know, um, you know, hey, Pharaoh, you've, you've ca- captured my firstborn, and, like, if, I'm, if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to take your firstborn, right? So going back to Passover, right? Um, yes. mm-hmm. But, you know, so all, all this done, right? So that you know things will will be you know uh, ever, everlasting and will not result in a scattering. But of course, as as we're just looking at, I mean, that's what's going to happen, though. I mean, like when when Alexander the Great rolls in, and then the Seleucids after him. I mean, there's going to be a, a massive diaspora. Things are going to be terrible in in Jerusalem. It's going to look like the Judean people are going to get nearly wiped off the face of the earth mm-hmm. uh, when, like Antiochus the Fourth. It goes on like the worst uh, rampage of persecution and, I mean, really genocide like that had really ever been seen um, by the people of God. So, I mean, it's it it it's very much again a prophecy that is fulfilled, but is still waiting for that full fulfillment. And you were, as you were just saying, the full fulfillment really doesn't come into picture the picture until our Lord Jesus is born, who is the true firstborn of God, and of course. Um, that I think is why this is this is so fitting that these are the words that are read um, at the commemoration of uh, Saint Mary, the mother of mother of our Lord mm-hmm. Jesus, mother of God. 
um, because, you know, it is through her that the firstborn of God was revealed uh, in the world. Yes, he, he, the Lord provided to us his son and picked that particular individual to be the only one who ever did this. And so we have a, a clear message that this one is different, and the one that she gave birth to is unique as well. And I think as we look at the idea then that, that all of us yet are still called offspring, the Lord is blessed, we are still God's people, and he claims us as his children in the special status of brothers and sisters of Christ, but Christ still has the, the, prima, the premier place and always will. But we're still part right. of the family. Yep. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, it's really, it's a different perspective. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because that language of, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, it, you know, reminds me of like everything that we see in Acts and the early church about how the church, they had everything in common and it was just, you know, everyone just pulled their resources. I mean, I mean, forget about, you know, like, like tithing 10%, people were just selling their, their property and just laying right. everything at the feet of the apostles way, way beyond that. Cause we're like in that, in that family view, you're not looking at it as like, Oh, let's just give a little bit to like the, the government or like the priests or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like what's mine is yours. You know, this is the, the Mikasa Sukasa kind of thing. Like, yes. you know, um, so you, you have that and, and then, and yet though, right. The elder brother, the eldest brother, is Jesus, and really, it's all his. First of all, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, so it's like we have all things in common, but really, he's the only one who really has any of it by rights. And and he has shared it with us that we might use it for the glory of his name and the the help of the rest of his brothers and sisters. It's right. it's all granted us so that it might be put to use. We never own it, but we are always authorized to use it. Yeah, I think I a, a, big, a big part of this understanding, too, is that the physical can't be everlasting anyway. Only that right. which is holy, only that which is uh, apart from sin can last forever. And therefore, even the restored nation of Israel couldn't last forever because it still had sin in it. That'll have to be right. fixed when Jesus comes at the end of the age. Right. No, that, that, that's well said, uh, that the, the, the view, the truth that everything belongs to Jesus and that, like, all these things are in common, they really do complement each other when it's like, really, God's just commanding us to be generous with the stuff that isn't even ours to begin with, right? And so, right. like, it's, it, and, and then, and as you were saying, the stuff is not eternal. The stuff is going to have to be renewed at the, at the change of the age. Um, but, I mean, generosity, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. something, like, as a spiritual gift that is actually eternal, Yep. Um, I, I want to make sure that we have a chance to talk a little bit about these last two verses, because we, we've been talking about this this priesthood idea. It's come mm-hmm. up a couple of times now. You're just pointing out in verse 6, there it is. Again, you'll be called priests of the Lord here. Um, let, let's take a look at these last two verses, because, again, the priesthood idea comes up. So this is verses 10 and 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, or as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. 
So, I mean, what, what a beautiful conclusion there. Yeah. I feel like it's tying so many things together. It ties that priesthood idea um, to to that before the nations idea, right? Because, you know, earlier on, the idea of being the oaks of righteousness and the mm-hmm. planting of the Lord in the midst of, like, all the nations, right? And so it, it's kind of tying that all idea that, you know, what what it— and then it ties in the idea, of course, of, of marriage, right? Like, like a, of a wedding, yeah. Right. I mean, like yeah. the idea of like, cause it's not just, it's not just marriage, but it's like, this is like the wedding day, right? Like the, the, the bride. Puts, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, all these things get tied together and you know, the thing that I, you know, you can't help but think of from a church perspective is, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, the feast of the, the world to come. Like this is the, the feast of the, the wedding feast of the lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, what we see here is that of course, God is the source. He's the cause. He's the recipient of our praise. And, of our rejoicing. So God gets the credit for all these things. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul exalts in my God. And the reason is, he's already lifted me up. I can praise him for all these great things. What jumped out at me as I was reading through this earlier, uh, the robe of righteousness, uh, the, the head the headdress, is it, it contrasts exactly with what Jesus wore on the cross. Nothing. Yeah but a crown of thorns. And because he was naked on the cross, I am covered with the garments of salvation, with the robe of righteousness. Now I'm decked out with a beautiful headdress. Our high priest Jesus, his only headdress on the cross was the crown of thorns. And we have, in place of the crown of thorns, the crown of righteousness. All kinds of great images that come out of... the New Testament pictures that pick up this Old Testament theme. Amen. A beautiful concluding image for us, that great exchange that we have in our Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, brother. It's good to have you back, and just blessings on the rest of this Advent season and then your Christmas celebration as well. Thank you. God will give the growth of what is good. So one day we'll look out the garden and see everything there. Amen. Looking forward to it, brother. Everybody, this was Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today. Moving on to Isaiah chapter 62. Next time, more just uh, beautiful words looking at the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.